Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. All right, I'm your host, Clint Davis. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Um, Man, I'm excited about this episode. We've been trying to get it together for a little bit. And uh, so today we have Esther Panabaker. We're going to go over her book, No Dot Thing, or Nothing, if you read it uh, quickly. So it's Leverage Your Nothing by Leaping into God's Everything. And I've read it, and it's awesome. And so Esther, tell us, like, tell our listeners who you are and uh, kind of what you do. Hi, Clint. Thanks hey. so much for having me here. Absolutely. It's such an honor. I'm glad it worked out for us to get together. Definitely. Um, I... I am currently working as a grant writer for volunteers for youth justice here in town and um, taking my writing skills in that direction later on in life. My baby is 17 now. Wow. So I um, have previously been a teacher and facilitated my children and rearing them up and raising them and making sure their education was all in order so they could be successful in life. Yeah. And did you homeschool? I did. Okay. I awesome. I homeschooled and I also taught, um, there's military base here in town. And so I've been part of groups and teaching them grammar and writing and music and homeschool groups that, um, I've been able to impact their lives for good. That's awesome. And so now my life has kind of taken a turn and I'm excited for what God's doing in my life. Yeah. So your, your baby's 17, you said? She's 17 okay. and going to Bipsy. She's dual crediting. Okay. And so, so not quite know, empty nesting, but not getting, empty nesting, not quite. Yeah, but, but getting there, right? That's yeah, awesome. and it's crazy because you know you make a pot of chili, pot of gumbo, pot of anything, and it's like wow, wow, I'm so used to you know cooking for for a multitude, and now you know it's just um, her and my husband and I, and so yeah, I'm kind of doing the meal prepping thing, you know, make a pot of chili and then freeze four containers, and <laughs> that's awesome. I need to come by your house, pick some food up. We yeah. got five and eight year old boys and it's uh it's constant cooking and keeping them fed. I'm like, that's what me and my wife were talking about the other day with, you know, people say, well, g- girls are hard because of, of the wedding. And I was like, man, I think a wedding is much cheaper than all the food that I have to feed these two boys that eat just me out of house and home. So do you have what your older two? What are they? How old are they? 
I have a 28-year-old, and she's a travel nurse right now. Okay. And Mark is 24. Okay. And he uh, really driven. He has his MBA, and he's working as an analyst for a company. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so 28, 24, and 17. Yep. So girl, boy, girl. Boy, girl, girl. And then we have a bonus child, a daughter who was um, a friend of my daughter's who lost her father and her mother. Mm. And so she's our daughter. She's on our family photo wall and um, yeah. we love her she's a nurse practitioner here in town oh that's awesome yeah. well great so what led you did you have a background in education like is that did you learn to be a teacher what kind of led you into homeschooling and, and all that I did have a background in education and um, the choices for schooling in our town when my children were very young um, the choices were part of none and there are a couple of private schools in town and um, one was kind of a country club school and the other was subpar, and I thought, I can do this for kindergarten. I mean, so that's how I started. I'm just going to do kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And then there were co-ops that were teaching Spanish in first grade, and they were doing, like, stellar things. And I wanted to give my kids a leg up. And like I said, my daughter's been a nurse for five or six years now. My son, at 21, had his MBA. He had doing done dual crediting through high school you know used the tops through his junior and senior year and um got his master's doing it that way so it it gave my kids i was very structured mm -hmm. very organized um i facilitated their education really because i'm not smart enough to teach you know all those <laughs> things i didn't want to do chemistry on my kitchen table That's right. um so i i kind of um parsed those out to teachers and in groups of kids and paid for it and um so i felt like it gave my kids a leg up yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we, we, our kids go to Montessori. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was, we've gone back and forth on what's that going to look like in high school with the culture and where we're at and, and education. And so, yeah, I totally, I respect and love hearing about homeschooling. We can talk about that forever. We'll do that offline. Um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. And what a gift to your kids to be able to, you know, be right there with them and connect to them and, and all that. So, yeah, I've loved it. I've loved being a mom. And so taking a shift, um, has been it has been a change for me but it's been it's been a change that I've looked forward to I've enjoyed every season that I've been in and so I'm enjoying the season good so tell me about the book how did you start to think about writing and, and writing this book in particular and where'd that come from this book really started from a journal and I know you're a proponent of you know increasing your life day by day and writing down your thoughts and so this book really came from a journal and journal entries that I was making and um, talking to friends and I'd say hey do you mind if I read you something from my journal and um, you know they'd sit there in my living room crying and one day my husband said hey tell them what you just wrote in your book and I wanted to kick them but we were sitting around the living room drinking coffee and eating pie and I couldn't, you know, give him that signal. And, um, is this chocolate pie? Yeah, chocolate pie <laughs> <laughs> with a flaky golden crust. I saw clint. that. Yeah, that's right. And, um, so I, I didn't want to talk about it as a book, right? It was just a journal, it was just my thoughts. But God was slowly prepping my heart and putting this, it was kind of like a burning message on the inside of me. And, and you're writing a book yourself, so you understand that. Um, the burning desire to get the message out. And so that's really how it became a book. And my friend, that friend that was there that day, 
a few weeks later, she called me up and she said, Esther, I have scheduled us. We are going to She Speaks, which is the Lisa Turkhurst um, convention. And um, she said, we're going there, get a book proposal and get it all ready. And we're going. I've bought the plane tickets. And so, yeah, I'm Googling how to write a book proposal. And that's the start of it. Wow. What year was that? That was 19... Uh, 2019. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Year of 19. And so then the pandemic. So I was about to say right yeah. before COVID. That's and, crazy. and God's like, um, now's your time. And I said, well, I mean, how can I write a book? And the title is No Dot Thing, which is nothing. How can I write a book on nothing when like everyone is sitting in yeah. nothing, nothing's right? Happening, yeah. <laughs> nothing's happening. Um, but that was the season and that was time. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, it's so crazy how he kind of prepares your heart and your mind and, um, you know, for, for that season. And it does. I think, I think COVID has been, and was such a, I guess we can say was now to some degree, um, was such a amazing and difficult season all at the same time it for was. people, you know, I think slowing down, you know, it's one thing I loved about your book was just talking about how do you sit in the, in the waiting and the, um, when there is nothing or there is no thing that you can do or whatever. So we'll dive into that. But, um, so tell me a little bit about, um, what do you think your your key takeaway, let's just start there, with the book would be? Like, what, what do you want people to get out of it? What's the, the main premise? The four sections of my book, it's titled No Dot Thing, but the four sections are um, No Thing, New Thing, Next Thing, and then Know. What do you know in your mind? And I think sometimes we fly through life looking for the next, the next, the next, the new, the new, the new, that we don't gain and glean what we need to glean in this season that we are in. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I hope to enlighten people to leverage what they think might be a nothing in their life. Um, the Bible talks about the lady that had the pot of oil, and right. she said, I have nothing this pot of oil and to realize the gifts that we do have when i go to speak i um, ask three questions what is in your hand what is in your heart and what is in your house Mm -hmm. and a lot of times that's where it starts you know what do you have the gift that you have that you can share with the world you know mine was education i shared it with my children and now i'm sharing it in my volunteer um, days writing grants and so I feel like sometimes we we think, you know, we live in a world where you have to do something spectacular to get noticed on the big stage. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's that small thing that God wants to promote in our life and, and show that it, you are worthy, you are valuable, and you do have something to share with the world. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think it, it also goes, it builds, you know, and, and our perspective on, what is success and what, you know, we talked about that a bunch on here about, you know, uh, money and fame and, and all the things that the world views and values as success are things, right. That we're trying to achieve. And we, we believe that if we finally get that thing, right, that it's going to all go away. Exactly. You know, and I know I do that as a parent, you know, it's like if we can just get them on the right team or in the right school or in the right thing, then everything's going to be fine. And then you, you spend all this time and energy and do that. And you're like, yes, this is amazing. And then it's like, there's another thing to deal with within that system. And and nothing's perfect because it's not heaven. Right. And there's always another thing, you know, there's always another title, 
degree, there's always another thing to have to level up to. And I feel like our society as a whole has put the pressure on us, you know, to be that next thing, to be that new thing, to do this and more, 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 more. And it's just a building pressure. And I think anxiety and depression and all these things come with it. You know, social media, you've got to have this hair bow for your daughter. You've got to have this monogram thing. You've got to have, you know, for your kids, you've got to be this and that. And, and, and instead of saying, okay, wait a minute, you know, what was I created for? And I need nothing but what God has given to me and to utilize and leverage that by leaping into his everything. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I mean, I know like uh, we talked about before we came on here doing the, I got to do a TED Talk this weekend and, and probably a month ago I was talking to people and people were like, are you excited? Like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. What an opportunity. And And I can honestly say like I was excited about it, but I also going into it, and I'm saying this afterwards because I'm just realizing it as we're talking, but um, I was really excited up, up into it. I was really more nervous and wanting to do a good job and get the message across to the world. Right. Um, but I, I remember telling somebody like, I don't actually care that much about the prestige of the Ted talk. Like it's not going to make me happier, you know, right. getting to do it. I'm not, I know that I've had too many experiences, you know, where it's like you do this thing that you've been waiting on. And then the day afterwards, everything in your life's the same. Your marriage is the same. Your finances are the same. Your parenting is the same. Like, you right. go to the same church the next Sunday. And and that's the the thing I loved about your book is just that principle of, yeah, you if you're focusing on this thing, this achievement, this moment that that's gonna like make everything good and grand and, and you know, carry on, it's like it's not. And so a little bit on the backside, like Saturday was so energetic and so much, but then Sunday went back to normal and Monday comes back to normal. Now we're here on Wednesday and it's like that might as well have not happened. You know, I've had a whole week of things to deal with and business and personal. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think you're spot on with, with the message that people need to hear. And then not being afraid to sit in the nose and the weights. And I know that's a question coming up for the dot on the book, Yeah. but the, the pauses in life, not being afraid to sit in those moments. I know you've talked on your podcast because I love listening to your podcast Thank you. and I've shared them with friends that um, have benefited it as well, but not to be able to sit in that for a moment and to glean the benefits of this waiting period or this moment of, mm-hmm. of hurt or grief, and then to be able to jump out of those. Um, and, and I've realized from listening to your podcast, I probably have some trauma from my childhood that I never really fully dealt with, right? I navigated through, um, and, 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 but fully sitting and then not getting the victim spirit as well. Yeah. And I talk about Joseph in my book. Um, yeah. I remember when we first met months ago, we both started and you were like, that's my book. I was like, that's so good. Yeah, because I, I didn't read the book yet, and, but it was one of those stories. So, yeah, tell that, please. So, Joseph, I mean, he, he struggled, right, for all the things. He had his coat taken off of him, and then, you know, he was sold. And, and some of us know the story how he uh, was accused by Potiphar's wife, that was his boss, of uh, attempted rape, and he was thrown into prison. And his coat was jerked off of him the second time. Mm. And that was the coat that he had earned. It wasn't something that he had just been given, you know, by his father, but he had earned that. And many times in life, how many times have we had, you know, the second coat ripped off of us? Something that we've striven for, we've worked for. And um, the temptation is to have that victim spirit of, well, you know, what good did that do? You know, I tried to honor God, try to honor my family, my wife, try to honor my marriage, try to honor, you know, X, Y, Z. And, um, and, and I still lost the thing. 
and I lost the thing. And so many times that can put us in a really bad place. And Joseph, I'm sure, fought through some of those thoughts. Um, But what I like to think about is the uh, butler and the cupbearer that was down in the prison with him. They had the dreams, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And Joseph was given that gift of telling dreams and interpreting dreams. And so when they said, tell us what the dream means, Joseph could have sat there and said, nope. Nope. Like, look where my dream got me, yep. right? I told my brothers and, you know, I was sold. And look where my dream, look where I am. I'm in prison. You know, this is nothing what I had dreamed. And this isn't me being, you know, successful or anything. And look where the dream got me. So do I really have the gift of interpreting dreams? So maybe I should just be quiet. And I think a lot of times we have the victim spirit and we, we sit back and we kind of pout and we think, well, I'm not going to help anybody else because is this really my gift? Mm-hmm. And um, because look where I am. But yeah. he, he interpreted the dream. He said, God's the giver of dreams. He said, I will tell you the dream. Yeah, that's so good. I think um, from a therapeutic standpoint, you know, what I see in people is when people are playing the victim in life, um, it's usually because they were a victim at some point, right? And so... Um, Maybe as a child, they weren't loved how they were supposed to be or get gotten the attachment or maybe they were abused or maybe they were violated. And so they did have an actual experience where they were victimized. Mm. And then they move through that and the lens they see the world through is now people are out to get me or there's something internally wrong with me or I deserved it. I must have deserved it because this keeps happening. Right. And so then when they get in a scenario years later, but they're disconnected from the trauma, then that same neuropathway comes up, still lights up that, that belief that's underneath there of, oh man, I'm not worthy. You know, and so I worry about, you know, I think about Joseph and that tension of, well, maybe, I, you know, maybe this gift I've been given or this thing that I, I feel like is natural to me, man, it didn't work out well for me in the past. And so, yeah, I'm going to just shut it down. And, and that is what I think people do. And the beautiful thing about Christ is that he redeems those things and moves us from the, you know, he validates those experiences and, and goes, Hey, this wasn't supposed to happen. And part of therapy is the same way. And I hope part of Christian community is the same thing is like, Hey, that was painful. And that was awful. And God did not intend that for you. Right. right? You know, we've had several miscarriages. It's like, God did not intend that to happen. He wanted life to be full and abundant and for us to be fruitful and multiply. But because of brokenness and sin in the world, it happens. So then what do we do with it? You know? And it's like, okay, well, that is not how it's supposed to happen. But I have to also be able to acknowledge that I don't deserve anything, that it's God's grace that sustains me. And so he says, I've adopted you and taken you in. And so I've given you the fullness of the spirit to do greater things than me. So do we stand back in this victim seat? No, we, we honor our victimhood, but then we have to move out of the victim seat and into who we are and our identity. Right. And uh, that's what Joseph does, you know, is he has that faith, which... It's so hard to have on this earth, you know? It is. And, and you know, we talked about how uh, maybe I haven't, I've navigated, but haven't really dealt with some of my trauma. And my dad was an abusive father and left when I was eight years old. And mm. there's a whole story how we literally ran from him. And, you know, the police, he kidnapped us. And, you know, long stories how we escaped and, and all those things. Um, so I did have a, a fear a fear-based lifestyle and God began to deal with me in adulthood about, Hey, that's not, 
faith, that's fear. Mm. And this is why, right? And connecting those dots, I'm like, okay, all right, that that is fear-based because I thought it was keeping me safe. You know, I don't do this because it's keeping me safe. Yep. I'm not gonna take risks because, oh, this is keeping me safe. And in fact, it was fear yeah. that was keeping me from doing the things that I was supposed to be doing in life. Yeah, well, again, it works, right? It worked for it the works. appropriate time. Yes. You needed that, you know, that, that safeguard. You needed that fight or flight. You needed that mechanism to go, this person in my life is dangerous and I'm in danger, so I must flee or I must adjust or I must protect. Well, what happens is, is that we carry that over into other relationships that actually aren't unsafe. Right. And we're having those same reactions and we're going, why does this relationship fall apart? Why is everybody just, you know, it's like, and then we realize like, oh, it's, it's my coping in a healthy situation that doesn't make any sense. And what I see from the culture and sometimes the church is there's a lot of heavy shame put on us as individuals to say, well, just don't act like that. Just believe in Jesus and just have faith. And it's like, but we have to make it make sense. We have to walk in relationship with people and, and help hear their story so that we know the context in which their behaviors come out of. And then we can say, hey, that that was your friend for a very long time, but we got to let that friend go because you don't need that here. Right. You don't need this in that new birth and this new life that you're living in because God is your protector. God is your director. He's the one who's, you know, keeping you safe. You can't do it. That's exactly right. But man, it's hard. Yeah. And just recognizing it and then admitting, hey, that that really has affected me in this way. Yeah. You know, I remember telling my husband, we um, were newlyweds, and I said, you ever hit me, I'm out the door, and I'll never be back. <laughs> and he was offended. I'm like, how dare he be offended? You know, he's like, I've never hurt you. I've never, but it was based from yeah. my experience. No, that's great. It's good vulnerability. Yeah, I think uh, I think if more of us understood that and, and in our marriages and our relationships, understood the mechanism in which everybody's kind of working from, like what you just said, then we're not so offended. You know, I get, a, it could be as easy as my wife being like, Hey, you didn't take the trash out or you didn't do this. And I'm like, what kind of husband do you think I am? You know? And we get in these conversations and I have to stop and go, Oh, I'm in my childhood stuff. I'm feeling not good enough. I'm feeling like, you know, I bust my butt to be a good husband and a good parent, but I messed up once and now it's all over. And she's like, I didn't say it was all over. I'm not, you know, like I just literally was saying, why didn't you take the trash out? But I turned it into this (laughs) mountain of a, like, I'm not good. You know, it's like, that's the stuff we do. Right. And it's not always going to be, no matter if you're a therapist or a pastor, a leader, a speaker, whatever, you're never going to do it perfectly. It's being aware of where these things are coming from and, and, and being able to stop projecting them onto other people and actually take responsibility for our things. Right. Well, and I remember him at one point saying, you know, honey, you do this because, you know, your father and your past. And I'm like, no, like my dad was God when he's at 12 years old. God said, I'm going to be your father. Right. You don't have a father. So I'm your dad. And like from that point on, God was my dad. Well, how can my husband live up to that criteria? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's the other side of it. Right. It's like you need to step up. and, and, And I we've I've said this plenty of times to other people, but I'm like, okay, I'm feeling like I got to be your Jesus right now. And I'm not, I'm not up to that task. And then the other side of me is like challenge accepted, you know, and then I run myself ragged. And so we all have to be aware of, you know, how those past things and tensions and traumas uh, play out. And I, and I think, you know, one of the big words I've been using this last year is like, how do we bear our image in the best way that God wants us to? And that's going to look very different for all of us. Right. And, and we always swing back into the things mode. You know, what things can I do for you to make you like me? What 
things can I do to make myself look successful? What things can I do? And um, I think we have to reel that in and say, okay, wait a minute, and get our focus back on to where we are to be. Absolutely. One thing in your book that I love is just that idea of like when you don't, when you feel like you don't have any, nothing, you know, no thing to offer, you know, paying attention to what you do. And so what's in your hand, you know, sometimes it's not material that you have. Right. Right. But sometimes you can be prayerful. Right. Sometimes you can serve. Sometimes you can tell a joke. So you, God has gifted all of us with so much potential. But when we have, when we, when we don't stop and start realizing like, oh, am I measuring my thing? or the no thing that I have against other people's things, that's when that comparison is the thief of joy thing comes in. It is. It's like, it kills you. And what is in your house? Sometimes, you know, that might be in your wheelhouse. You know, you have a great producer here that's doing your podcast for you. What's in their wheelhouse to do? And some of us have some things that we are capable of doing that other people aren't. Mm -hmm. And it may just be literally what is in my house that God wants to use. And I remember telling in my book, you know, about the chocolate pie and a neighbor that I really, I had been praying for, for quite some time. And God spoke to me one morning and said, basically, okay, you've prayed for so long. What are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I mean, I don't know her. I, he said, take her a chocolate pie. Mm. And that was like something that was in my house at that moment. I had the ingredients to make her chocolate pie, but my rebuttal was, well, does she like chocolate? But God, does she? And he's like, take her the pie. <laughs> And that was within my wheelhouse. That was in within my house. And I feel like, you know, sometimes we overlook the simple things that we should be doing and that can impact the world. And she just needed a friend to, to make her a pie, bring it over and give her a hug and say, hey, I'm here for you. Yeah, I think we, that's beautiful. I think we all could, if we just stop and put ourselves in that position, acknowledge that it's really not the big showy things that matter at the end of the day. It's the very personal, simple, intentional touches yes. that I'm like, that matters to me. Right. You know, like we, a couple of my friends that are speakers, we always talk about like when you get off the stage, people are like, that's amazing. Great job. And I'm always like, what about it was good? Like I would prefer somebody to say, I loved this line or I loved this thing or, you know, whatever, because, uh, uh that's great. It's just a generality that everybody tells everybody when you come off stage, you know, it's like, nobody's going to be like, you bombed. That was terrible. You know? And so those specifics I think are so simple, you know, but that intentionality is what people really need. And so. Right. Yeah, whether they like chocolate pie is not the point. The other part of that is no one's bringing anyone pies. So that's a huge, like being the light in the darkness and the salt of the earth. Like that's that part that we were talking about before of like, we forget how disconnected and isolated and alone and in shame everyone is. So a little bit of kindness goes a long way. Right. And I could have easily said, and I did in my heart, well, that's nothing. Yep. And, and God specifically said chocolate pie. And I think a lot of times we do that, you know, well, that's nothing that's minuscule. And when, when it, like you said, it's the simple things. Yeah. Because he uses nothing to do amazing things. Right. He says that constantly, you know, like, well, why don't I want to use something that's already, that you've already gotten and achieved yourself and it looks so great and beautiful and you've, you've worked hard for it and, you know, and now you get the benefit. Right. Well, and you know, that brings me to the stories that we read in the, in the Bible about how God used little things like the loaves and fish and he, he blessed and he multiplied and he broke those things and how he came as a small child in, in a manger and he used the little things that this world would think, how is that even, you know, how, how can you yeah. be a king and pomp and circumstance and all this, but yet 
He came as a small child, and that's how he chooses to work in the small. But when he multiplies it, it can mean a whole lot. Absolutely. And that little boy did not go to Jesus thinking he was going to do that. No. Right. He just offered the, he was like, well, this is what I got. Right. And I feel like I've had to learn in my own life, like, this is what I have right now. And somebody else might look and go, well, you do a podcast and y'all have a practice and you have these offices. And it's like, yeah, but it didn't start that way. And it may not end that way. You know, I could lose all this tomorrow, right. but I still be content with doing what I, what God has me to do. And you chose to leap into God's everything. And that's the subtitle, leverage your nothing by leaping into God's everything. And I feel like when we do leap into God's everything, whether that means, you know, a small office, Clint, or all these offices that you have, you are continuing to leap every single day into God's everything. Absolutely. Uh, I had a friend of mine who, and I don't remember if I talked about this on the podcast or not, but recently he um he passed away he was in the army and we were in high school together we were really good friends really close in junior high and high school and you know we graduated i joined the army he you know went and did some other things he ended up joining the army and we ran into each other after both of our deployments and saw each other and kind of caught up and uh, you know really loved the guy and um probably a few months ago i found out that he had uh, they found him dead in a hotel room and i thought to myself one step left or right that's me Right. You know, we had the same kind of background, this, grew up in the same town, both lived in trailers growing up, like both parents worked their butts off with low income, you know, kind of white, what blue collar, you know, workers. And I just thought, what happened in his life, you know, that he stepped this way and what graces were given to me that I stepped this way. And it just shows you like how far, you know, how close it is. It's just such a thin line. And, and I think we have to be we have to realize like it's not by anything that we do it's god's will and his, his choice and and um and just sit in that grace and that mercy and be thankful yes. and that keeps us out of the worrying about the things too right and every single day honoring him and making those choices to leap into his everything every single day oh it's it's amazing um tell me a little bit about um kind of grant writing and where you're where that passion is. And I mean, you were trying to work together and try to figure out how to get together and, and get some mental health stuff going. But what, what, so what's the plan with the book? Are you writing other things? And then is grant writing kind of the main passion right now? I wrote the book in honor to God. He asked me to write the book you know, with my journal and, and now my writing has taken kind of a, an, another avenue into grant writing. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy connecting people. And so my book is a connector, you know, connecting them with, hey, when I go out and speak, you know what, somebody started a business because of, of this and, and just uh, the idea of what you can do, you know, mm -hmm. what is in your hand, what is in your heart, what is in your house. Um, so with the grant writing, God opened that door wide open for me. There were classes that I took through LSUS and their business um, administration. So I did all their grant writing classes and graduated, had my certificate. And then God has just opened up the doors. I mean, one after another and through LinkedIn this past week, I have a call tomorrow with someone from Ecuador who grew up in Shreveport actually, and they're coming to bring a soccer team, a youth soccer team here this summer to do summer programs and throughout the United States um, with the Hispanic community. And so I don't know, I'm just being faithful to God's yeah. hand and he's opening doors and I'm writing grants for a lot of people and, and just being able to help um, them in their avenues wherever they they're opening their hand and, and God's helping them in their lives. And so I feel like when we contribute to society, then it's just, um, 
it, it goes on and on and it multiplies. That's awesome. Well, if you're listening to this and you, you know, need a grant writer, she's a great one. And so reach out and make some connection. Where, how can they get in touch with you? I'm on LinkedIn for okay. the grant writing gotcha. under my name, Esther Panna Baker. Okay. And we'll put, we'll put that in the subtext for the episode. Um, what else you got? What you have any questions for me or thoughts or kind of anything you want to discuss as far as uh, mental health and the book and, I think, Clint, that um, there's this great story called Stone Soup, and I don't know if you've read it to your kids. There's many versions and variations of Stone Soup. Mm -hmm. How the guy walking into the village, you know, all he had was this little stone, and how he finally, the end of the story, he convinces the whole town to contribute. You know, he puts a stone in the pot, and there's water, and they're like, well, how can you make, st I don't see, where are the potatoes? He's like, well, silly me, you know, of course we need potatoes, and the kids like, why? Well, we have potatoes in the cellar, and everybody, you know, adds, adds their ingredients, and by the end of the day, they all have some yummy, tasty soup, and um, it, it calls for someone who has tenacity, and they have a vision for more, and I feel like unless we have a vision for more, in our lives, unless we have a vision for more in our communities, unless we have a vision for more in our businesses, um, we're going to be in a dearth. But God can help us to see that vision when we all add what we have to yeah. add to the pot. Stone soup, whoever thought, you know, yeah. but it was a tasty, delicious soup by the end of the day, everybody adding and contributing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think people like you um, who shine this light on these subjects and, and really encourage people that they have something to offer is super needed. There's not enough people out there doing it. Right. And mental health services, to be honest, like when I was growing up, you know, it's like this is some kind of witchery or something, you know, in, in the <laughs> church world. And um, to know that we do need mental health services provided because we're all going through a bunch of stuff and maybe something through childhood. Like I said, I've navigated through kind of on my own and through reading books and all, but a therapy would have been a great thing to have back in those days when I was struggling. Yeah. Well, I, I said that this weekend, you know, that our parents didn't have that. No. You know, when, I think that's one thing you, you mentioned, uh, you know, when people were stifled or stagnant or stuck. And I think therapy can be a good way to break through that, you know, a, a good way to stop and assess what's going on in my life. What am I responsible for? What are my parents responsible for? Um, and it's an important marker in life to, to get unstuck. Yes. And a lot of the things I think I, I think people are stuck in is their view of themselves, and especially as Christians. Um, I was reading something recently, and it was uh, give another analogy. It was a story of a man. He was taking a, a ride on a ship, <clears throat> excuse me, a ship um, to America, and he saved all his money. You might have heard this, but he saved all his money. Um, so he bought this wheel of cheese and, a, and some crackers. Have you heard this? Okay. And, uh, and so he gets on the ship and he's, you know, hanging out and he's, you know, eating the crackers and the cheese. And he's like, you know, he looks through this window and they're having dinner every night and they got a course meal and people are eating. And he's like, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to save this and I'm going to invest it when I get to America. And then I'm going to be able to, you know, provide for my family mm -hmm. what they need. So he gets hungrier and hungrier and he looks through the window every night. He's kind of looking in, they're laughing and eating and it's nothing fancy, but it's, you know, it's food and it's you know laid out and nice and, so he one day he's, he's run out of meat and cheese and crackers and he's you know really struggling and hungry and so he hears a cheer go up and he runs up to the top deck and and they can see uh the statue of liberty in ellis island and they're you get to america and one of the butlers is kind of standing there the, the crew members and he looks over and he said uh sir i noticed you never came and ate with us like you know you know never seen you and he said yeah man i'm just you know saving my cheese and my crackers and you know i ran out but i wanted to save everything i could for my family and he said oh sir well 
you know, I, I, you didn't know, but you know, you get three meals with your ticket that you purchased on board. Like we, every night we set a place at the table for you to come, mm. you know, and you never showed up. And so mm. we throw your stuff out and he couldn't go back on that. And, and so the story is, you know, a lot, a lot about Christianity is that we withhold all these things that we think are nothing, or we think are in our control looking through the window of what God has a place at the table for us to sit at, you know, to have his fullness, his presence his to tabernacle in us and to, you know, do his works. And a lot of times we got cheese and cracker Christianity. We're saying, Oh no, he could never use me. I don't have anything to offer. My sin's too great. He doesn't love me. And all of that narrative is the, is a narrative from our parents, from our society, from our friends, from friends like Job's friends who come in and go, what'd you do to deserve this? You know, just all these things. When in reality, the truth of the gospel is, is that you know, God has prepared this table that we can't earn, that we can't lose, that we can't, that can't be taken away. And all we have to do is sit down. Right. And, and so many of us, myself included some days are like, man, I, I don't know if I deserve all this. And it's like, well, and to know that he has plans and wishes for us is really yeah, he set an, the table. Is an exciting thing. You know, as I was writing my book, my mom even said, well, what do you have to say that, you know, hasn't already been said? <laughs> I'm like, thanks for the, thanks, encur- <laughs> thanks for the encouragement, right? Uh, going back to that, that fear-based childhood growing up. Uh, but God does have some really exciting things for us. And I tell the story about uh, my son when he was three and four and my nephew. And uh, my sister, we went to visit her in Indianapolis, and they had just remodeled a bedroom. New furniture, bunk beds for the boys, you know, with the Americana little jean comforters on, you know, all the throw pillows and the walls were painted. Everything was new. The carpet was new. And um, I walked in the room and I saw these marks on the wall, Sharpie, there, there, there. I mean, all around the room were these marks. And so, you know, we go question the kids, hey, who did this? Well, nobody admitted, nobody did it. And nobody saw anybody do it. (laughs) And uh, so the next morning, my son, who was three years old, Mark, and I said, Marky, what happened here? And he's like, there and there and there and there. And then he opened up the door to the closet, which I hadn't opened up. And he said, and that, and that, and that. So we knew who did it, right? Because he knew the things that I hadn't even seen. And I feel like when we mark the faithfulness of God in our lives around the room, he's going to open the door and show us things that we haven't seen before. And he has some really good things ahead in our lives. Mm. Um, But when we mark the faithfulness of God, the things that we can see, I think it's really important that we mark those things because he has doors to open for us and things that we we don't know about, but he's preparing for us. Yeah, it's so good. I think um, gratitude is so important too. Some of the new science is coming out and it's showing like, you can't have a posture of gratitude and anxiety at the same time, or at least that's kind of the argument in your brain. Like you can't produce the same chemicals. Now I'll debate it. Cause I feel like, you know, it's a hard thing, you know, moment to moment maybe, but, but I do, I try, I think looking at our lives and seeing what we already have been given, right. You know, cause we do that comparison thing on one end when we say, Oh, I don't have enough. You know, I could never do that. I could never achieve what they could. I could never be a pastor. Even, even shout out to one of my, my people yesterday, if they listened to this, but like, they were like, Oh, I'm, I just don't believe I could do ministry. I don't believe I'm a minister. I don't, I don't see myself as a pastor. And so I just sent them, you know, the verse that says we have been given a ministry of reconciliation, you know, all of us, 
Right. If you're a Christ follower, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have been given a ministry. It's it's not a up for debate theologically. You know, it's like you are a pastor, you are a minister. You might not get on the stage in the American church kind of way of doing, you know, the pastor thing, but whatever you have, you know, whatever you have to offer, you're doing ministry. And I think That's me and right. you talked about uh, the other, so the other Joseph, and you know, all he had was a hole in the wall. Right. You know, he he had one little hole in the wall for his land that he had been given, and he had. Um, reputation and relationships. And so he was the one who got Jesus off the cross and put him in the tomb. That's all he had. But he used his reputation and his ability for them to, to give Jesus to him so they could bury him. He did. And he, I think we he didn't feel think like, much of that, though. Yeah, know? no, he didn't. And I think we feel like we have to have, you know, everything set up. You know, we have to have an office and a building, and we have to have all these things when just start with what you have. And then go from there and see what builds out of that. Mm-hmm. And it's easier said than done. It is. You know, it's definitely easier said than done. And I think, you know, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of faith. Right. And, and that's that stepping out. And the tenacity, because, you know, God put us here on this earth, and we are literally His hands and feet. You know, God's not making that chocolate pie. Nope. You know? He's not <laughs> it, writing the check. He's not writing the check. He's not writing the book. He's not speaking those words, you know, like literally, like we are. We are actually being his hands and his feet in this world. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Absolutely. And if you're out there listening to this and you think, well, I'm waiting on that moment for the Holy Spirit to kind of come in and shock me and do it for me. It's not going to happen. You know, it's he's going to he's going to give you the strength to do it. He's going to give you the awareness and the vision if you listen and are in a relationship with him. But he, it's going to take a step of action on our parts and a step of faith and obedience. And, and then it'll come, whether that's prayer or giving or um, serving or any of the things. It doesn't just miraculously come over you and then do it. You've got to step out there and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to screw it up and you're going to have to apologize and reconcile and rup, you know, there's going to be ruptures and repair and all the mess that comes with being human. But do not let anybody tell you that you there's not something out there for you to do that's beautiful and big for you and for what God has for your will and your life. Um, so, yeah, it's good stuff. I love it. And sometimes, Clint, we just need to leap into God's everything and not just do a trust fall, right, but a leap of faith into what he has called us to do. Yeah, absolutely. We can't just sit around and wait. If we know it in our gut, sometimes we just have to jump out there and, and get it started and absolutely and deal with it you know i know i love you know the enneagram because of the i don't think people are set in numbers but i love it because it gives us a decent guide and so it's it's funny when people are like well i'm a like people would say well i'm a this so i could never do that and it's like that's that's not how it's supposed to be used we can lean into the you know uncomfortableness like i'm extroverted i love to talk so yeah it's easy for me to do the podcast part but it's not easy you know, it doesn't come without anxiety and, and some fear and some rejection and some confusion and some, you know, missteps. So that's the other people look at other people and think, oh, well, this must be so easy for them or this must have happened so easy. Or, you know, I've done that to other people. I see people and I'm like, man, if I could be that, if I could speak like that, if I could do that. And then I get to know those people and they're like, oh, I'm falling apart. You know, like, <laughs> and as a clinician, I see that all the time, you know, and that's, I would say, you know, if we're doing good discipleship as Christians, that means we're sitting with people and hearing their stories. That means we're involved in their lives across socioeconomic statuses, cultures, genders, ethnicities, whatever. So I would hope that as we mature in, in our faith and as we do mis- discipleship, 
we can lose this idea that there are some people who just have it together and have their lives are so easy because we're actually getting to see that that's never the case. And I would say that's one huge benefit of being a clinician is that I'm, I, I don't, it's hard for me to shift into that. Oh, they must have a good cause my brain's always like, Oh, I bet that's a struggle bust, you know? Right. Cause I've heard it from a doctor or from a lawyer, or from a lead pastor or from whoever. And uh, I, I hope that we can all get out of that mentality and start to give each other grace and just assume in a good way, right? right. That it's probably difficult, not easy. And, and stop using that as a justification for not leaping in faith. Right. Yeah. Well, and we can get so consumed with what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And instead of where is my lane and where do I need to be running today? Mm-hmm. And not just looking um, towards, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, but today, what should I be doing today that God wants me to do? And that will lead me in those areas. Yeah. I mean, it's, is it still January? Yeah, that's right. So it's like, you know, December 2023 is coming. Right. And it's going to be here before we know it. Right. If you, if workout is your thing, you know, if eating better is your thing, if, if saving money is your thing, if reading your Bible is your thing, don't get overwhelmed with the, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. Just be obedient to the little things each week. And by the time 2023 December gets here, you'll have a bunch of things. Right. Or we can freeze and do nothing because we have this expectation to have a six pack tomorrow or have a bank account that's full the next day or have our kids doing violin like a prodigy. You know, we have these things that we're trying to, we want to get by 2023, but then we never do them because we don't see that those little steps build to the big thing. They do. And so my challenge is always, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. And so whether that's spiritually or emotionally or physically, how do you get, deal with your anxiety? One bite at a time. You start coming to therapy. How do you run a business? You hire a business coach or you meet with your pastor. Or you get some guidance and you do one meeting at a time. And You write a book one word at a time. That's right. Absolutely. That's, that'll be my challenge by the end of the year. Well, Esther, I really appreciate you coming on. This is really fun. I think it's going to be super helpful to people. Um, if you, um, they can get your book on Amazon, no dot thing, right? Esther Panabaker, you can look it up. Um, I think, I think you guys are really like it. I think it's a really good read. I love that it has questions to dive kind of deeper. I, you know, that's such a great way of doing, you know, the digging deeper section where they can write in the back of it and kind of journal as we talked about super important. Um, you know, when you use your right hand or your right brain and write, um, you externalize some of those emotional things. So you know, whether you do that in your own journal or write in the book, I think it'd be great. So, um, thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks guys for listening. Uh, God bless you and have a good week and we'll talk to you soon.